keep on rolling, baby. You know what time it is. Yes, 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 people. That's right. We're rolling. We're rolling into 2019. This is Echoes from the Void, the first podcast of the new year. So what the fuck is up, people? Yes, we are good. Hope everyone had a good evening and are ready to kick down the door to this year. Man, it's been... There's some crazy motherfucking news around, man. There's some there's some really insane shit happening, which is incredible, man. It's blowing my mind that, you know, even in, like, this short space of time, just some crazy shit has gone down. And it's just like, how the fuck can all that happen you know but you know what fuck it it gives us something to talk about right so we're gonna have a bit of news um well when i say news it's just my thoughts and some shit you know what i mean i ain't giving you the news like uh you know bbc cnn anything like that you know what i mean it ain't crazy but yeah we got some that and then um a little review on a wildlife photography exhibition thoughts on the latest ufc got some books um got a little abc murders up in there as well so uh yeah stay tuned people okay so in the uk we we have a chain of um music stores called hmv and they went into administration a few years back um you know so they they met they shut a few a lot of stores but they stayed in business and they sell like cds dvds blu-rays um like gig t-shirts and posters I think some, and then they, they, they a lot of some of the stores sold vinyl, so you, you could also kind of buy yeah computer games in there, consoles, you know that kind of stuff. Um, but just before Christmas, they went into they've declared administration again, which is crazy. And um, what? But the crazy thing out of all of this. I found out HMV stands for His Master's Voice, which is just like, what a dumbass name, man! is is It's a ridiculous name for a store. So, just for that, you you deserve everything you're getting. You know what I mean? Because give yourself a better name, people. But anyway, other than that, they didn't change up what they were doing. 
they continue just to do exactly the same thing. And it's just like, look, you got into trouble, right? You managed to save yourselves. So obviously, you you change things up a little, right? But no. So of course they're still in the shit. Which and, and it kind of blows my mind that they don't seem to realize that. You know, it, it's it's kind of baffling. There's right, so you know, they're saying um their ch- their their executive chairman, Paul McGowan, he's just like, look, HMV sold thirty one percent of all physical music in the UK this year and twenty three percent of all DVDs and Blu rays. With its market share growing month by month, blah, month by month throughout the year. I'm like, that's fine. But seeing the fact that everyone knows the trend is not to buy physical music, what does this mean? You know what I mean? What does this say to you? Yes, the people are buying most of it from you because you've got most of the stores that sell it. But what that's 31% of what because we know the number has been going down year after year and you didn't you know you didn't think okay let's open maybe an, an online streaming store let's you know try and diversify what we do you kept on doing your same shit so of course you are now fucked ugh yeah it's crazy. I'm I'm like I don't care because I don't buy CDs or DVDs, but I just I'm baffled by their their just idiocracy. You know what I mean? It is it's 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 insane. It, it it's weird. It's weird to me. So the BBC put together their ultimate guide to 2018's biggest books and they rounded up 40 of this year's biggest titles uh, and they split it up into kind of different um, categories so I figured I'd go through this because yeah why not um, so the first one is liter- literature lovers and they say um Sally Rooney's normal people um which is an exquisite love story about two young people navigating school and university in Ireland and it was named best book of 2018 by Waterstone. Um, then they also talk about Anna Burns Milkman, um, which is set during the Troubles in Northern Ireland and follows an 18-year-old girl who is forced into a relationship by an older married man. And this won this year's Man Booker Prize. Ah, so if you followed a podcast, you would have heard me talk about that. 
Um, and then there's also Jonathan Coe's Middle England, um, which a state of the nation novel about Brexit Britain featuring characters from Coe's hit novel, The Rotters Club. Oh, gosh. And they've also included uh, Hirako Mirakami's Killing Commander Tore, which, um, interesting. Uh, the book is A Portrait Painter in Tokyo is abandoned by his wife and finds himself hooked up in the mountain home of a famous artist where he discovers a strange painting in the attic and uh yeah you'll definitely find me reviewing that in earlier episodes um okay so political animals is their next category uh and um the first book is michelle obama's becoming Hmm, which is the biggest selling book of the year in America. Whoa. And it got there in 15 days, which is, um, yeah, crazy. But the book chronicles the experiences that have shaped her from childhood in Chicago to her legal career and her life with... uh, President Barack Obama is a first lady. Yep. Okay. So I went to the talk. Um, which she had at the South Bank Center, which was extremely good. Uh, and you'll find that I think that was mid November. Yeah. 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 So you'll find that there. Um, then we have um Isabel Hardman's Why We Get the Wrong Politicians, which um, takes a detailed look at the culture of Westminster to try to discover why politicians are consistently voted the least trusted professional group. And then there is Michael Lewis's The Filthy Risk, The Fifth Risk, Undoing Democracy. And it examines how President Donald Trump's policies are threatening the fabric of U.S. government. Okay. Ah, and there is also James O'Brien's How to Be Right. uh, Which is a guide to dismantling the arguments of those who blame benefits, scroungers, the EU... Muslims, feminists, and immigrants in the UK for the UK's woes. Okay, then we have Telly Addicts. So the first book is um by Robert Galbraith, basically J.K. Rowling, as everyone knows, and that's Lethal White. Um. The fourth book in the series sees Cameron Strike and Robin Ellicott tangling with devious politicians and investigating crimes from the past. Um, Then there's Lee Child's Past Tense, which is, um, 
think the new book in the Jack Reacher series. Uh, yeah, and um, you know the series is going to be made into a, uh, the books are going to be made into a TV series. I believe at Amazon soon. So there, there's that. Um, then Luke Jennings is killing Eve. Um, so you have that. I'm just going to read through the book titles. We're going to not bother with the descriptions. Because, you know. Otherwise this will be going on forever, right? Uh, then we have music fans. So, Lily Allen's My Thoughts Exactly. Um, Brett Anderson, who was the lead singer of Suede. In the 90s, he's got a book called Cold Black Mornings. And Viv Albertine's To Throw Away Unopened. And he was a guitarist in the stilts. Um, huh. And then there's MC Stormy's Rise Up. The murky story so far. Uh, the next category is big thinkers. And we've got Jake Blackmore's Inventing Ourselves, The Secret Life of the Teenage Brain. Hmm. And it was the Hay Festival's Book of the Year. Uh, then there's Hannah Fry. Who's got her book, Magic Numbers. Um, uh, Belly Guilford's. Oh, sorry, I messed that up. Completely messed it up. Hannah Fry's book is Hello World, How to Be Humid in the Age of the Machine. I apologize. It's just badly written here. Um... And then we have um, oh, a Stephen Hawkins book, Brief Answers to the Big Questions. And, um, oh, and Tim Peake's The Astronaut Selection Test Book. Then we have The Geeks, Myth Geeks. Um, Stephen Fry has a book called Heroes. Um, Madeline Miller's Surik. Um, Pat Baker, The Silence of Girls. And... Neil Gaiman as Norse mythology, which is, um, yeah, that's very good. I've read that one. Uh, comedy connoisseurs. So, Billy Colony as Made in Scotland, My Grand Adventures in a Wee Country. And then we have Ramit. Ram Ramesh Ran Agamathan 
and he's straight out of Crawley. Catelyn Moran, How to Be Famous. Uh, Deborah Francis White, The Guilty Feminist, From Our Notable Goals to Our Worst Hypocrisies. Uh, one of my little friends who's currently on tour in New Zealand, she loves her podcast and um, yeah, says she's someone definitely worth listening to. Uh, um, then we got young adults. So Angie Thomas's The Hate You Give. Jason Reynolds, The Long Way Down. Um, Sarah J. Mass is Kingdom of Ash. And, yep, that's that. And then Criminal Minds, Michelle McNamara. I'll be gone in the dark. John Farek. Wrecking Crew demolishing the case against Stephen Avery. Um Yep. And aspiring athletes. Gareth G. Thomas, the tour according to G, my journey to the yellow jersey. And Peter Crouch, how to be a footballer. And Andrew Flinkloff, do you know what's up? And finally, Jenny Landruff's Swell, A Water Biography, which won the Sunday Times Sports Book of the Year. So, yeah, that's from the BBC. 40 books worth checking out. And, um, yeah, this went a bit long, and my nose has got incredibly blocked. So, apologies for that one. Okay, so one of the craziest things happened um, yesterday night. The U.S. Strategic Command obviously is um, letting any idiot run their Twitter account. Because, oh my god, they fucked up. Oh, so badly. So, so badly. Alright, so they sent out <laughs> a tweet saying, Times Square tradition rings in the new year by dropping the big ball. If ever needed, we are ready to drop something much, much bigger. And then they had a video, <laughs> then they attached a video of a um, a stealth bomber dropping bombs, which, <laughs> not the right 
thing. Now, if they had a stealth bomber and it dropped a lot of fireworks that went off, that's that's fine. But dropping bombs, what the fuck are you doing? You crazy sons of bitches. And <laughs> so they deleted that tweet, which, as everyone knows, a deleted tweet is never really deleted. And then they said, our previous New Year's Eve tweet was in poor taste and does not reflect our values. We apologize. We are dedicated to the security of America and ally. I'm all for, like, a funny tweet, a funny spin on something. I've done it numerous times, you know, to help drive traffic to something for any of the companies I've been working for but you 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 know the limits you know what I mean you know what is the line but these guys these guys man like whichever person sent this out man I'd be a bit scared to go into the office again <laughs> on the second because, like, yeah, that, that you could lose a job for that shit. That you definitely could. That's some crazy ass shit. So, uh, oh, <laughs> oh, man, but it's funny as fuck. So, um, yeah. Thank you, U.S. Strategic Command, for being a bunch of um, morons, frankly. Okay, so, um, recently, Louis C.K. did a um, did a set, and someone taped that set, which. It's illegal, motherfuckers. You can't go into a comedy club, tape the material, and post it online. That is illegal. And you're fucking up a comedian's career. But you're, you're giving his jokes away. You can't do that. It's fucking wrong. And the crazy thing is... Okay, so... If 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 I put music in my podcast and uploaded that to YouTube, that's getting taken down. YouTube will take that down. You know, send a warning, all of this. But there are let people put comedian sets on with no with no. You know what I mean? No comeback, which is fucked up. That is fucked up. So I'm saying that straight out the gate. But yeah, some moron put his set, Louis C.K.'s set, online, and people are pissed. Because, right, so he had something, there was the park, parkland shooting um, earlier last year in America, at where a, guy, a kid went into a school and, and shot a load of other kids, which, that's wrong. It's bad. Everyone knows that. But one of Louis' jokes was, um, 
about you know the survivors because now you have all of these survivors and they they you know I saw some on on camera talking and look the the thing is yeah you, you we agree it look it was a bad situation you know what I mean but they're kids so they don't look they've been around for a short period of time so they don't know everything so it's it's tough trying to make them as spokespeople because you know, you could out argue them for the most part you know what i mean it it's just like they don't have the knowledge to to kind of converse about a lot of shit what they know is that you know they were in this horrendous situation that's what they can talk on but that's it so if you put them or, or on a panel about gun crime that's all they can say you know what i mean which is look it's a valid thing but it's only a small part of any argument so louis just said look just because you were in this doesn't mean we, we you're you know you're worth listening to which again is a valid point because i've heard some people talking and they really don't know what they're talking about you know I mean they just go over one thing again and again they they're not good at talking that they're not good at talking in front of crowds so you know look it's a valid thing to say he's not saying that parkland shooting was was a good thing he's not saying anything like that he's talking about putting kids in front of crowds to talk but everyone's so like pissed off about it you know I mean everyone's like oh you can't how why can't you say that why can't you say kids aren't really the best people to to send to congress you know what i mean what why is that a bad thing to say it's not a bad thing to say but everyone look some people you might disagree which is which is fine you know what i mean everyone has their own opinion but to then say someone can't you know what i mean be a comedian or, or and, and do what they do that's just ridiculous like there's a, a a woman who wrote a piece Fiona Sturgis on the Guardian and my god she like the you know she says about the record you know it's a recording you might want to say it's a, a you know it's a comedy set but i wouldn't it wouldn't give the credence to it i was like jesus christ woman look just because you don't like him you can't say he's not a comedian don't be petty don't be pathetic she also she's like talking about when um 
you know, when the whole thing broke in 2017 and he said, I'm going to take some time to think about this. And she's just like, yeah, nine months. Ugh, what is that? I'm like, nine months is a, is a long time. To say nine months isn't a long time, you're an idiot. You know what I mean? It's just like, no one put a time limit on when he could come back. Obviously, if he had come back a month later, that would have been odd. But to to be out for nine months, that is a long time when you consider people usually do sets at the weekend. They usually do sets during the week as well. You know what I mean? All the tours, TV, everything like that. Producing material, writing shows, filming shows, all of that. that you know what I mean? You could have filmed a TV series in nine months. So, nine months is a long period of time. You can't say nine months isn't. Now, I don't know how long people felt he should be gone for. There's no one has actually, like everyone says, oh, He's been away for nine, only nine months. But no one says, I think he should have been gone for this period. No one says that. So it, I'd, I'd really like to hear how long every all these people feel he should have been gone for. But, yeah, it's like these all these people who want to go off at him and declare him to be a plague on humanity, and, and, like, you can't put him in the same category as Spacey, because it's a completely different thing, what Louis did was wrong, but you, you can't put him in the same category as Spacey, that is, that's a ridiculous thing, so you, you have these people and one of the craziest things is um Judd Apatow. Judd Apatow like he oh my gosh, he wrote this thing on Twitter. Um you know, I'm not gonna go into it. If you wanna find it, you can find it on Twitter. But he wrote this thing on Twitter like go like basically saying that you know Louis is you know he's just a bit of a mockery um and i am so glad some other some some comedians have actually stepped up and talked about this Sam Tripoli and Doug Stanhope well done guys because this is the thing so i will read this one because I think this, you know what I mean, it's important. So Stan Tripoli wrote, I stand with Louis C.K. Judd, did you call out Leanna Dunham when she admitted to molesting her sister or falsely accusing a man of sexual assault in college? No, of course not. If anyone knows Hacky, it's you. You used a cheat code to get on stage and be one of us. We won't forget this. And he's referring to um, Judd filming a comedy special for Netflix. But this is a, a really valid point. Because Leanna Dunham, yeah, in and she wrote it in a book. 
she had a book out and she wrote about and taught a lot online about how she used to molest her sister how she used to get things and like toys and bottles and shove try and shove them up her sister's vagina you know what I mean this is what she said she admitted to on numerous occasions and again falsely accusing someone of sexual assault but nothing happened to her so this is the crazy thing and she has been all over the me too so it's it's ridiculous like what are the double standards here she's done this but you know no one no one blinked an eye everyone thought well fine that's fine oh crazy Leanna Dunnan oh what a kook but then you're going off at other people look we need to think about what the fuck is going on here there is a double standard yes there are things that are wrong molesting your sister for falsely accusing people of sexual assault is wrong wanking in front of people is wrong you know what I mean so these both are wrong I would say Leanna Dunnan is probably worse but she's forcing things inside someone accusing someone of sexual assault wanking in front of someone who you ask can I do this it's wrong but you know what I mean the levels the Leanna Dunnan's levels are worse so and when you also let's talk about this go back and look at people like Amy Schumer's comedy where she talks about some crazy ass shit talking about rape and stuff like that so you're banning people from the from friggin doing the Oscars making a joke a few years ago but you're letting other people who made similar jokes a few years ago have a pass there needs to be equality in this and people need to get off their motherfucking high horses and using all these platforms to make these sweeping statements that are laughable frankly they're laughable and and we need to think about this and also finally you cannot people put people's fucking sets online you assholes so today um i made my annual trip to the natural history museum me and a couple of my great friends we've been going i think this is the fourth year we've um gone to this like but usually we go like um beginning of you know the next year but is this opening i think it opened in october so we usually go the beginning of the following year and that's always a good one because it's a bit quieter, but today, 
it was insane. Um, yeah, so it w went to Natural History Museum for their annual Wildlife Photography of the Year, which um, insanely has been going now for 54 years. 54 damn years, man. That's that's impressive, you know what I mean? Um, and, you know, the Wildlife Photography of the Year showcases extraordinary animal behaviour and the breathtaking diversity of life on Earth. Like, and, you know, there's a lot of photos in there, but they had to choose them from 45,000 entries. 45,000 people sent photos in to try and win those prizes, which is crazy. So um, they, they were selected by, um, you know, some judges in the know for their creativity originality and technical 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 yeah of course i said that right god damn it excellence technical excellence so um yeah you can go and see like some of the world's best nature photography on um, a hundred exquisite light panels. Hundred, I didn't even realise there was that many. A hundred. Woo. And yeah. It kind of shows the changing face of nature. And lets you uncover the surprising. And sometimes challenging stories. Behind the photos. It is. You know. Truly impressive. Because. You know. They've got um, like the adult section and then the, uh, the, the, you know, the child section. So you can see like, um, you know, the, the, you know, the difference, the techniques uh, and, and what these people are using. And I have to say, when you compare the child and the adults, like the technically... They're pretty on point. I think the only difference is of the composition. You know, there is definitely you can definitely see a difference in like the 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 shots they're taking, um, the like the setups and that kind of thing. But you know, technically, they are still superb photos. And um, yeah, you get to walk around. It they're they're split into kind of different sections like behavior, um, composition, um, and a few different ones like that. And, and so yeah, you you get to see all these different types of photos. So it's just animals like in different settings. Like doing different things. Like there's birds taking flight. There's one photo of um, a bird just swooping down to try and catch a flying fish, which is a you know a really good photo. Like there's another photo of some wild dogs, and they've got a baboon's head in their mouth. 
you know, so, so it's kind of different shots like that. Like there's um, like an ant, I think it's an ant, some sort of bug walking along a branch with ants like walking underneath. So there's just loads of different types of photo, different types of shots. There's like sharks and whales under the water. So yeah, like people have gone under the water, and and so they explain. And there's a, a kind of a, an explanation about the photo as well. So it'll be like um, Sam decided to take a picture of a water buffalo. Like he set his camera up, and you know, in the three months that it was there, he only got four photos of water buffaloes. And this, he was very lucky to get this photo, you know, so it's kind of a, a little breakdown like that. They'll tell you, um, like, what he used to take the photo, he or she, what they use to take the photo. And, um, you know, it also gives you kind of, like, where the photo was taken. <coughs> you know, um, the kind of... The name of the photographer, age, like where they're from. And there's also a map as well, which is pretty nifty. And it's got a dot to show where like the photo was taken around the world. So, um, yeah, that's all. So, yeah, it's great. So there's all of this. So you can walk around and just see all these magnificent photos. Um. Yeah, I think you do have to kind of pick when to go. Today was insanely busy. It was so crazy, man. Which, it does impact on what you can see and how you can consume the photos. But, if you're patient enough, like, we waited around. We didn't, you know, we, we went to see photos in different orders and kind of things. Went to the sections that were quieter. And it worked out. It was fine. But, uh, yeah, think about when you want to go. Um, preferably when there's no kids around. <laughs> because, God damn it, kids are the bane of all entertainment. Yeah, that is a fact. I have to say as well, like, unfortunately, there wasn't an audio guide. But, the, you know, the History Museum do have, they, they do have like a written guide that you could walk around with. And they did a large print version. But what was pretty good, I think, oh, also, I think they do it in different languages as well. But, as I say, what was really good, so at the beginning, there's a QR code um, and like a web link. So you could either go to the web link or just scan the QR code with your camera. It will then, you know, you, you get a pop-up, tap that, it will then take you to the website. You enter a code which is written down and then by doing that, you get basically... Um, all the photos and the descriptions on your phone so you can you know if if it's hard to see what's written you can put it on your phone you can enlarge it to whatever size is good for you and you can read about the photos which I thought was you know 
an audio would be probably better, but this was great. And I have to say, well, let me say, let me break it down. An audio is good. Definitely an audio is good. Because, you know, reading, like, depending, like, whatever issue you may have with your, your site, reading a lot of text can be difficult. So an audio guide is good. But the... Um, the, the, the you know the having it on your phone is great so what would it be perfect would have the kind of thing on your phone like they they've got and then an all you could have a di the choice for audio as well that would really blow it out of the park for sure um but yeah no it it, it it is good so it does make it accessible one thing that is a bit kind of it's very dark in there <laughs> yeah it's like it, it it's dark so you have to be careful about um bumping into people and just the kind of um perception of what's around you sometimes it's all black so everything's black and they, you know all the sides and then they've got all the photos so it, it sometimes well for me it was like that perception and, and realizing what's around you and that kind of thing. And then when you leave, being blinded by the damn light of their gift shop. But um, yeah, I think that's, that's a minor because it's extremely enjoyable. Highly recommend it. Um, the Wildlife Photographer of the Year at the Natural History Museum. Definitely go. You will not be disappointed. Unless you hate photography, then um, why are you going there, you morons? Cool. Alright, have fun. <laughs> so, the BBC, Amazon Prime, Mammoth Productions and Agatha Christie Productions have come together to create a new adaptation of the ABC Murders, which was... Um, one of Agatha Christie's Ercuporo series of books. Uh, this adaptation was written by Sarah Phelps, who um, wrote And Then There Was None from, I believe it was last, this time last year. Um, it stars a, a, a lot of um, famous people. John Malkovich, Eamon Farron, Michael Sheffer, Rupert Grint, Freya Marver, Shirley Henderson, Anya Chola-Chatra. Uh, and um, so it was three episodes. They were about 55 minutes per episode. So, you know. No ads because it was on the BBC, which is always a good look. And if you don't remember the story, this was the gist. Set in the 1930s, a time when Britain is dangerously divided and suspicion and hatred are on the rise, the story sees Poirot face a serial killer known only as ABC. As the body count rises, the only clue is a copy of the ABC Railway Guide 
at each crime scene. Poirot's investigations are continuously thwarted by an enemy determined to outsmart him. If Poirot is to match his nemesis, then everything about him will be called into question. His authority, his integrity, his past, and his identity. Bum, bum, bum. Now, if you want to say anything about the BBC, you have to admit they make great documentaries and they make really good period drama and also i guess a third thing they their series don't they're not too long each season isn't too long you know what i mean no 26 episode craziness here which is always a good look and case in point you know abc murders three episodes which is a good length. Um, and it has the trademarks of this type of story. You know, you look at things like War and Peace, Les Miserables. Um, they've all got this lavish, kind of, you know, expansive feel to them. You, know, you, you, you wouldn't look at them and go, oh, that just doesn't look right. Everything looks right for the period of time, you know. The, the the sets are great. the The wardrobe is on point. You know, everything matches, and I think for the most part, they, they you know it's usually the right people for the right roles, you know. And I'd say that for this. A, a few exceptions, but we'll we'll get to those. Um, and you know, th- this is a story that there's been so many different adaptations, and they all bring something a little bit different to it. I I, I think um, you know, it's always hard to see Urquhiporo played by someone else than David Suchet, because. I I think he's probably synonymous to it. He played it for so long and was so good. But Malkovich, he's not too bad. He's not too bad. Like, it's hard to really get the complete feel for him. Because this is only three, you know, it's just under three hours. So, yeah, you're still, I think, like... In the field of, he was decent, but I'd need to see more to really kind of say yes or nay to him in this role. But what he did within the the course of this series was very good. As you know, he had to go from playing someone kind of down on their luck, kind of um repid drepid drepid oh someone um delepid oh what's the freaking word you know a bit run down let's just say that Ugh. playing someone a little bit run down 
Deprepid. No, no, fuck it. I'm not even going to try. A little rundown. We're going to stick with that. Yeah. So he, he he's playing someone who's a little rundown to then someone who who gets invigorated and tenacious and really charged for something. And he does that very well. You know, I think you really see that in his performance. Uh, there's other things, though, about this that are a bit of... A bit, it's a bit jarring. There, there, there was, like, um, there's a bit in it, and there's a black priest. And I'm a bit like... What the fuck are you doing? I mean, why kowtow to the PC police? It's 1930s. There's not going to be a black priest. You know what I mean? Like, let's not be ridiculous. Look, not every show needs to have a black person in it. Not every show needs to have a gay person in it. Look, you you can watch these period pieces. They're period pieces. We know our history. We know how it was back then. And if you try and say different, you're a liar and a fool. So... It's a bit jarring when you watch something and you're just like, that doesn't work because it's not true. If you're setting something in 1930s, you know what I mean? You've gone to all the trouble to have the wardrobe look right, the tones and the filters look right. So why be retarded and do something like this? It's just dumb, it's silly. And we don't need it. I think we're all grown enough to be able to watch a program and then not call, you know what I mean, all the SJWs together and and pick at the BBC and be like, there was no representation in this program. How dare you? You, oh, we're taking you down. That's not going to happen. Well, it might. I say that's not going to happen. But the way things go, who knows? It might do. But that was one little thing that was a little bit, you know, unrealistic for the time. Um, there was a few other things, like there was an incident with a phone. And you're just like, look, in today, yeah, you could do that. Because you'd probably have a camera. You, you could, you know, time someone, get into a place, make a phone call. But when you've got your phone calls are going through an exchange... It's not going to work. That's not going to happen. So what you're doing, it's a bit silly, you know. The admission of Hastings seemed an odd choice as well. Because I think with when Poro is with Hastings, it's a, it's a good dynamic. They're a good foil for each other, you know. It just works. So to not have Hastings, you need someone else to work against. Now, this story, there should have been Inspector Jap. For some reason, they killed Jap. Don't know why. That was a bit weird. And having Rupert Grint, 
um, Rupert Grint isn't a bad actor, but to play this role, you know, um, he he needed to have a lot of contempt. You know, you should you had to be able to see the like the contempt because Chrome wasn't a fan of Poro. So in the beginning, there's contempt, there's disdain. You know, there's a lot of disregard. And he didn't really portray that. Like, his tone kind of stayed the same all the time. And, like, his body language, there was no... There was nothing in it that I felt kind of showed those different emotions that he would be having. You know, the script had it. Like, so you could tell from the script, okay, so yeah, he's not a fan of Poirot. But the acting, that didn't completely carry it for me. Maybe it did for others. For me, he didn't quite have the punch. Now, the rest of the rest of his acting, like, the rest of it, it was fine. But, you know, there was these things that, the, the character should have carried and you just didn't f- I didn't feel those which was a thing but otherwise look the story is really good you know yeah there's there was some of the admissions uh, uh some are weird look I'm I'm not expecting it to be a perfect you know what I mean? Blow for blow, because that never works, and it's a weird as well. Look, I, I'm, ha- I've, you know, I think when you're seeing something in a different medium, it has to be different. But the changes need should make sense, and I don't think all the changes made sense. I think some of the the storytelling didn't quite work. Like, some of it fell a bit flat. Like, I think the story was, it was a slow build, which is fine. I'm, I'm happy with that. You know what I mean? You don't, this should never be a fast-paced thing. But, being a slow build, it needs the intensity in, I think, the writing and the other methods of storytelling, and in places, they weren't quite there, all in all though, that this was decent, you know what I mean, I, I think if you're a fan of Poirot, if you're a fan of Christie, then I think it, it's just under three hours, so, you know, it's it's worth checking out, but if you're not, I I think there's there's so much else on TV. You might as well check out something else. I mean, Luther's gonna hit, I think tomorrow. So, or today when you hear this, <laughs> um, that well that is if you're listening to it on the first. <laughs> Otherwise, it's gone. It's been. It's gone. But there's other things, you know what I mean? But, yeah, it's not terrible. It's okay. 
it's just not, you know what I mean? It's not excellent. And then there was none was extremely good. And yeah, I would not hesitate in recommending that. This, hmm, there's caveats, you know what I mean? There's definitely caveats to who I'd recommend it to. But yeah, it, the, the story itself is a good story. And let's just think, Agatha Christie was born in 1890. She wrote 66 crime stories. You know what I mean? She she was killing it back then. And her stories are still ones that people want to tell. Which is incredible. Incredible. So, look. If you're an Agatha Christie fan, check it out. Otherwise, you know. There's other crime stuff on TV, I guess. But it's up to you. It's under three hours, so you're not going to be completely disappointed if you watch it. But yeah, that's it. Um, the ABC Murders on BBC and Amazon Prime. Um, I, I think it might be on HBO in America as well. Uh, but yeah, there you go. So, tonight, the um, 29th of December, has been an incredible night for the UFC's last card of the year. And it's like, I, it had to be this good, you know. I think when when you look at everything that has gone down in the last week, it was like, if this card didn't deliver, I think uh, there would have been so many unhappy people. There's like, look, if you don't know, the card was supposed to take place at the T-Mobile Arena in Las Vegas. But because of a atypical drug test... Um, with John Jones, so it wasn't a failed drug test, it just showed some nominal readings, um, so because of this, the card got m moved to LA, so it happened in the Inglewood, um, the forum in Inglewood, California, and, and the see man, like, I guess even before we can get to this, a lot of the craziness around this whole event, I feel, happened from some really bad reporting, because you have, let's see, it's the problem with the internet, everyone who writes feels that they're a journalist, so you have all these Little MNA sites and people, you know, trying to go, look, we're breaking news, we're big, we're blah, blah, blah. And so they're writing these stories, but the stories, they're fake stories. So a lot of people came out and were saying, John Jones failed the drug test. Now, technically, he didn't fail it. 
this is the thing see the whole thing comes around the wording of what happened and it was an anominal drug test that's what it was it wasn't technically a failed drug test but because of this you know the um Las Vegas, the uh, NSAC, I think it is, they had to, you know, the, the, the Las Vegas Commission had to meet to talk about everything. But because of Christmas, no one was around, which meant the likelihood, so they were going to meet, but it would have been just I think the day before so on the 28th the 27th or 28th which then if things didn't go well would have meant nothing could have happened so to prevent a non-event the UFC moved everything to the forum in Inglewood okay so now we get to the event and as I said, look, it was incredible. It was like from the very first fight. So you had, um, I think it's like four fights on fight pass, which were the fight pass prelims. Then you had, I think, four fights on the main prelims. And then we had five fights on the main card because two of those fights were five round f- title fights. So the first fight was Brian Kelleher v's Montel Jackson. And god damn it, that was a crazy fight. And like Montel Jackson, whose first fight in the UFC. He came out. Look, you know, he didn't give Kelleher a chance to kind of get started at all. And yeah, like, so he was hit him with punches, hit him with a, a, a hard punch. Kelleher went down. He swarmed him on the ground. And then Jackson caught him in a darse choke. It was a great submission, won the fight, crazy fight. The next fight, so you're thinking, all right, that was, that serious, man. Where do you go from here? So then you had Curtis Millinder v. Sahar Bahadaraz. I think I butchered that, but, you know. And Cigar has incredible power. But in this fight, you saw that Melinda had the, 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 the sharper technique. And so he was keeping Cigar at bay with his technique, with his jab, with his footwork. And But Cigar was like, you know, he'd throw crazy looping punches and steam forward throwing lefts, right hooks, crazy overhands. And so occasionally he would hit Millinder. And there was a few times and you're thinking, oh shit. You know what I mean? Is Millinder get knocked out? Because every now and again he'd get hit with this hard punch. And it was just like, ooh. But 
Melinda, you know what I mean, went a free, took it to the decision and, and won. I think it was unanimous. I think he won a unanimous decision. The net, like, and that was a crazy fight because some of the punches that were getting thrown, you're just thinking a knockout's going to come at any moment. This is insane. So then the next fight, you're like, all right, so, you know, where's this one going to go? So you had Uriah Hall against Bevon Lewis. Bevon Lewis coming out of Jackson Wink and... You know what I mean? He he had he was looking crazy promising. And straight away in this fight, like Hall just didn't look comfortable in there. And Lewis was just teeing off on him, like catching him, like kicks, punches. It like it seemed whatever Lewis wanted to throw, he was gonna catch Hall. And so, clearly won the first round. And I feel he kind of, like, he. I think he clearly won the second round as well. Because he got a takedown uh, a, a in the second round as well. So, he clearly won the second round. In the third round, he was looking slower. And so, Hall was catching him. But... Then Lewis comes back, and you're thinking, okay, Lewis, it looks like he's going to take this one home. But he starts getting a little reckless with the punches, and god damn it, he throws a crazy overhand, and Hall just hits him with like a hook uppercut. Knocks him clean out. It was insane because that was the only way Hall could win that fight. With and and so after the fight, Hall um kind of explained that you know his sister's got depression and he was fighting for her. So you could kind of see why his focus just wasn't in the fight until the very end. But yeah, another incredible fight. Then we had Nathan Wood from the UK against Andre Yule. And Yule's a heavy puncher. But he he just didn't have any ground game. And so Nathaniel, like, Wood took him down and then just controlled him. So he just kept on taking him down. And like Yule had no answer. He had no answer to getting taken down. And then he had no answer on the ground. Like there was no moves to try and stand up. There was no moves to try and get a submission. He wasn't even throwing elbows or anything. All he was doing was trying to hold, but Wood controlled it. He wasn't really throwing a lot, and he wasn't really advancing his position. So you've kind of felt that he was going to win, 
but just went by decision. But then in the third round, there was a scramble and he was able to um, win with a rear naked choke. <clears throat> so, you know, that was a decent fight. That was a decent fight to end the fight pass prelims. So then we get onto the prelims. First fight. The first friggin' fight of the main prelims. BJ Penn. God damn it. So, yeah, BJ Penn against Ryan Hall, who is a sick, like, jiu-jitsu technician. And so you kind of felt, yo, this was going to be a good fight. And <clears throat> BJ Penn looked damn sharp. He looked so sharp at the beginning, landing punches, like, just be his good footwork, looking really good. But then, Hall, leg kick, a roll into a knee bar. And it was done. Which was, you know, it, it was so, happened so fast. And Penn just had no opportunity to do anything. Because literally, it was on. And Penn went to the ground. And then that was it. So there was no no time to turn, no time to try and get out. It was just over, man. So, yeah, crazy, insane fight, really. Then we had Douglas Andral v. Peter Yang. And, yeah, I think Yang, Yang owned um, Andre. Um, yeah, just owned him. After the second round, he, he's caught and put in the towel. Because he was just getting pieced up. There was no way he was winning. And he was just taking so much damage. So, yeah, he, his corner did the right thing. Put in a towel. We then had Kat Zingargo, Zingano against Megan Anderson. And it was another weird fight. Because Anderson threw a head kick and her toe... Went into Zingano's eye. So Zingano couldn't see. Couldn't do anything. And the referee called it off as a TKO. And so what I've learned now is. Because it was a toe. And not a finger. It gets ruled a TKO. If it was a finger. It would be a non-contest. But they say because. You have less control over your toes than your fingers. It's an accident. So, yeah, a TKO win for Anderson. We then have Andre Oloski against Walt Harris. Um, Like, it was a close fight. And to be honest, I did think Oloski had just pipped it. But, no. Um, Walt. Walt Big Ticket Harris won uh, a split decision. So now we go on to the main card. And so we've already had so many incredible fights. So what's going to happen with this main card? Well, the first fight, Chad Mendes against Alex Volkanovski. And this, God damn it! this was back and forth. This was a back and forth fight. But you kind of felt that Volkanovski 
just had the edge. So, yeah, we kind of feel he won the first round. Then the second round, he just landed just a, a few crazy shots at the beginning. Mendes just had no, just no response. And then a big overhand, Mendes went down. Um, referee calls it TKO win for Volkanovski. Then we had Liar Latifi against Corey Anderson. And I think Latifi was the heavy favourite to win this fight. But Corey Anderson just looked really good. Um, but unlike in some of his previous fights, because he looked so good in the fight against OSP, Ovin St. Prue. But then in the third round, his concentration went just for a moment, head kick, knockout. But in this fight, Anderson was able to keep his concentration and take home a unanimous decision. Like it, it, in the third round, he did get caught with a few big punches. So there was some tense moments where you're thinking, shit. Is it, you know what I mean, is it all going to go crazy again for him? But he kept it together, which was really good because he had a lot of trouble because his wife was like six months of something pregnant. So just on the edge of not being able to fly. So already gone to Vegas, then had to get to LA. So it it was um nice that he won the fight, gets his win bonus, all good for him. We didn't have Carlos Condon against Michael Chiesa. And so this the crazy thing about this fight was Chiesa, this was his first fight at 170 pounds, world away. He looked bigger than Condon, who's been fighting at world away, like basically his entire career. And Chiesa looked bigger. So, you know, like... Condon has good submissions, but his wrestling defense isn't the best, and he just kept on getting taken down. He he nearly got Kiesa in an armbar, nearly got him in a leg lock, but in the end, I feel Kiesa was too strong, and he he caught him. He caught Condon in a Kimura in the second round. So now we get to the two championship fights. And god damn it. God damn it. So the first fight was Chris Justino Cyborg against Amanda Lionheart Nunez. So Nunez was moving up from 135 pounds to 145 pounds. So she's already the champ at 135. So it was a championship fight, Cyborg was a champion, and it started off, Cyborg landed some big punches, landed some big punches on Nunes, and so you're thinking, oh shit, it is, you know, Cyborg, bigger fire, she's gonna do it, but then Nunes, like, so Cyborg catches Nunes, swarms in but as she swarms in she, her guard is down Nunes catches her 
wobbles her. And then she swarms Cyborg. But the problem was Cyborg lost all kind of sense. So her game plan went out the window and then she just started flailing at Nudez. But by doing that, you know, she's leaving so many openings, so many gaps. But she's not thinking clearly. She's just seeing red and just charging ahead. By doing that, Nunez just pieces her up in 51 seconds. Puts her down, I think, three, four times. Then lands an overhand that makes Cyborg faceplant. Nunez is the first women's double champion at Bantamweight and Featherweight. A ridiculous fight. 51 seconds into the first round. Boom. So, so many crazy fights. And now we've still got John Jones against Alex Gustafsson in their second fight. Jones won the first one by split decision. And so, all ever since that first fight, Gustafsson has been saying, I won it, the judges fucked up, you know I won, I'm going to beat you this time. But in this fight, oh, and after the first fight, Jones had been hit more times than he'd ever been hit before, had to go to the hospital, you know, through, picked up so much damage, even though he won. This second fight, such a different fight. John Jones controlled it from the outside. So landing punches, landing kicks, landing elbows when he moved in. But he managed to stay outside Gustafsson's punching range. Because Jones had the bigger reach. You know, he's got an 84 inch reach. So he stayed outside the reach. He you know, disrupted Gustafsson's games with leg kicks, with, um, like, a kick to the, kick to the knee, uh, like, a teak kick up the middle, so just threw Gustafsson off all the time, and then picked him apart, moved in, caught him with an elbow, tied him up, pushed him off, would catch him with a combination or an elbow, so, Jones was winning like he won the first round won the second round and then in the third round it was so smart what he did so he, he's doing the same thing keeping Gustafsson at bay he then throws a punch to um, Gustafsson's thigh so throws a punch to his thigh then he throws a combination to the head he goes to throw another punch to the thigh. Looks like he's going to go throw a punch again to the thigh. That's what Gustafsson probably thought. Instead, he did a single leg takedown. Took him down. And then, oh my days, just controlled him on the ground. 
So held him down, controlled him, got into half guard, was controlling him, landing punches, landing elbows, just hitting him, just landing, landing, landing. Gustafsson tried to get up, tried to move, but by doing that, he gave his back to Jones. Jones took the back, sunk in his hooks, so laid him out, and then just landed again and again and again. And what you could see, so they say it's a TKO, but what you actually see, he's landing punches to um, Gustafsson's side of Gustafsson's head. Gustafsson is holding himself up on his elbow, and then he goes limp. And I kind of feel he knocked Gustafsson out for a few seconds, and that's when the referee moved in and stopped the fight. And so this was a ridiculous event. This it was incredible. The amount of fights. So the like if you look at everything that happened, like you Uriah Hall coming back to win by knockout. John Jones the amount of pressure John Jones has been on, like this entire week leading into this, people calling him a cheat, people saying he should be banned, all this pressure, the pressure of the event being moved so this fight could happen, so going in, like he he didn't lose a title, he didn't lose a title the first time, he was stripped, so going into this fight, thinking, okay, so I didn't lose the belt. So technically, I need to put on a good performance. Everyone's expecting me to put on this good performance because I said the first fight, I didn't really train. This fight, everyone knows I've been training like crazy. So I have to put on a good performance. The fight, the whole location, the whole event was moved. So I could do this. So all this pressure on his shoulders didn't show. Didn't show. So I feel this kind of shows the amount of resolve. The amount of belief that if you have this. You can kind of do anything. You know what I mean? Yes, fighting is a little bit different. But. You know what I mean? If you believe in yourself, if you just focus, you're, you're, you know what I mean? You'll put on the best performance you can put on. And because of that, this was incredible. Nunez, first women's double champion. Such an impressive performance. It was crazy. So, yeah, this, this was an insane event. You know what I mean? Even with the move, sold out the Coliseum. And, you know, I so this was the last event of the year for the UFC. So, next year, they move over to ESPN. And I have to say, look, a lot of people have been, you know what I mean, talking about, oh, the UFC should be doing this, the UFC should be doing that. Especially with the 165 pounds division. But my theory is this, right? 
they come, they were coming to the end of the Fox tenure. You know what I mean? So they've signed a deal with ESPN starting in January. So why the fuck are you going to announce anything now? You know what I mean? You want all the big shit to happen next year. When you've got the new deal. You know what I mean? You start the year... Declaring shit, we're, we're dropping a hundred and sixty-five pound division. Boom! All eyes on you, ready for the new deal. So you're getting people mad excited. So I kind of feel a hundred and sixty-five pound division is gonna be announced early next year, ready for the ESPN deal. You know what I mean? That's what I kind of feel. I think if Henry Cejudo beats TJ Dillashaw, then the 125-pound division will be kept. You know, I w- even if he loses, I wouldn't surprise me if they keep it anyway. Look, they haven't made any decisions. A few fighters have been cut, but... You know what I mean? They cut. They have to cut a few fighters anyway. You know what I mean? They can't have all these thousands of fighters under contract. You have to look. If people aren't winning, you have to make some cuts. So they made some cuts. You know what I mean? So I wouldn't take just the cutting of a few fighters as a death of a division. Especially because next year there's going to be more events. So with more events, having more divisions means you're able to have championship fights at most of your pay-per-views. You know what I mean? So that's what I kind of feel for next year. But with the way this year ended, looking at the the first few cards for next year, they're looking incredible, man. So... I feel big things are going to happen. Looking forward to the fights. You need to get on board. You know what I mean? You get a Fight Pass membership. Get BT Sports so you can watch the UFC, man. Because, shit. This is the most exciting sport. Period. So, I decided to um, get straight back into the world of Ben Aronovic's Peter Grant uh, and his Rivers of London series. So, I picked up Moon Over Soho, which is book two in the Rivers of London um, series and again read by Kobner Holbrook-Smith. Um. And the breakdown is this. I was dad's vinyl Ugh. Look, it's not me. It's the way things are written. They don't make any sense. All right, let's do this from the giddy. All right. I was my dad's vinyl valet. I changed his records while he lounged around. And that's how I know my Argo from my tempo. And it's why when Dr. Walid called me to the morgue 
to listen to a corpse, I recognised the tune it was playing. Something violently supernatural had happened to the victim, strong enough to leave its imprint like a wax cylinder recording. Cyrus Wilkinson, part-time jazz saxophonist and full-time accountant, had apparently dropped dead of a heart attack just after finishing a gigging Soho. He wasn't the first. No one was going to let me exhume corpses to see if they were playing my tune. So it was back to an old-fashioned legwork, starting in Soho, the heart of the scene. I didn't trust the lovely Simone, Cyrus's ex-lover, professional jazz kitten, and as inviting as a Rubens portrait, but I needed her help. There were monsters stalking Soho, creatures feeding off that special gift that, that separates the great musician from someone who can raise a decent tune, taking beauty and leaving behind sickness, failure and broken lives. And as I hunted them, my investigation got tangled up in another story, a brilliant trumpet trumpet player Richard Lord Grant, my father, who managed to destroy his own career twice. That's the thing about policing most of the time. You're doing it to maintain public order. Occasionally you're doing it for justice and maybe once in a career you're doing it for revenge. Man, this is... You know, after the events of River of London, and especially the way it ends, like you, you are so keen to pick up in the lives of um, Peter, Leslie Nightingale, and you know the rest of the um, the characters, and this book really doesn't let you down you know, like, we're, we're immersed in the whole world, and it's great, you know, we, 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 we're taken to, like, a, a wizarding school, you know, a great library, um, an arch, an archivist, uh, you know, so, like, different characters that are helping build, you know, the magical element of the world, but then we're also, you know, taken further within the policing side of things, and on top of that, you know, we're, we're going deeper into Peter's family too, you know, as mentioned there, Richard Lord Grant, so, you know, his dad, so we're finding out more about him, and he becomes... Yeah, maybe an integral part of the story, you know. But but that this is the great thing, like all these things are added, but at no expense to the others. You know, Aronovich, he he's a really good storyteller. He's able to add humor, but not have it forced. You know, it, it's like sometimes you watch those films. And there's a bad joke, and then there's a gap, 
like a five second gap in between the next line because they're expecting everyone to laugh and it's really forced but you know I equate it to watching like I remember watching the first Blade film and it's a dark film but it's got funny jokes in it but they, they weren't jokes five second pause it was a joke and then we move on and you know this is how this book goes you know it's funny but there's there's like this this darker side to the book especially when there's you know a woman that is doing serious damage to um the manhood of london let's say i mean i'm not gonna spoil it for you people but yeah so you've got this going on there's also, as Peter coined it, a jazz vampire who's um, killing off uh, jazz p- practitioners. So you have all of this stuff, you know, happening. And it all, you know, it all fits together. It's all building on top of each other. But then also, we're still picking up the threads of the last book. So the hunt for the faceless man is afoot so we're going on to that and yeah there's some grisly grisly shit involved with that that comes up in this and we're also you know picking up on um leslie seeing how you know she's um moving forward from the trauma that happened in uh, Rivers of London. And so it's great. All of this stuff just building, building. And there's definitely an emotional tinge to it. You know, Peter, Simone, Leslie. You know, all, all these kind of characters. How they're, they're connecting and... You know, that bond just building between everyone. And unlike some people as well, you know, uh, Ben, he, you know, if there's a love scene, it's not creepy. It's not a creepy love. You know, it's like you read Murakami and some of his love scenes, actually not some, all of his love scenes, really odd, really creepy. Uh, but not here. Not here. It just feels natural. It feels like, yeah, this is kind of, this is real life shit right here. You know what I mean? Uh, so it's a really engrossing book. Yeah, like from the giddy up, I'm, I'm, I'm in, I'm in, loving it, and just wanting to find out what happens next. You know, like every, like I just, it's hard to put it down. It's hard to stop listening to this damn book. It's so good, and I have to say, with the way it ends, God damn, yeah. It it's woo it's got uh definitely an ending that's gonna make you wanna pick up the next book, Whispers Underground. Yeah, that's for sure. And also 
you have to, you do wonder, like, will, you know, like, will Peter be able to keep his job with the amount of damage he's, he seems to be doing to the capital? You know what I mean? It's just like, surely it must get to a point where they're like, Peter, look, you know, you're, you're, you're the only uh, wizarding apprentice and you do seem to solve some cases and stuff, but you're just costing us too much money. We're going to have to let you go, Peter. you got to go. <laughs> yeah, but, um, yeah, no, it's, I highly recommend it. Look, if, if you're a fan of the first book, Rivers of London, you obviously you're, you're going to want to pick this up. If you're a fan of Mike Carey's Felix Castor books, Again, you're gonna want to pick it up. Probably if you're a fan of the Dresden file stuff too, um, this will be your kind of thing. Yeah, look, fuck it. If you're just a fan of good stories, you're gonna want to check this out because it's a great book. And I have to say, I have to give him his props too. Um, Coba Holbrook Smith. He really does help make the these stories because his narration is just top notch. He he really does an amazing job. Every like as I said, look, I've listened to these books before, and all the ones I've listened to so far, he's a great narrator. So um yeah, him coupled with um Ben's stories perfect match so definitely check it out if you can this is moon over soho book two in the rivers of london series so the second book this week was nine perfect strangers by leanne moriarty um and it was read by caroline lee uh so the um the book is basically this could 10 days at a health resort really change you forever in leanne moriarty's latest page turner nine perfect strangers are about to find out nine people gather at a remote health resort some are here to lose weight some are here to get a reboot on life Some are here for reasons they can't even admit to themselves. Amidst all of the luxury and pampering, the mindfulness and meditation, they know these 10 days might involve some real work. But none of them could imagine just how challenging the next 10 days are going to be. Frances Welty, the formerly best-selling romantic novelist, arrives at Tranquillum House nursing a bad back, a broken heart, and an exquisitely painful paper cut. She's immediately intrigued by her fellow guests. Most of them don't look to be in need of a health resort at all, but the person that intrigues her most is the strange and charismatic owner director of tranquillum house could this person really have the answers francis didn't even know she was seeking should francis put aside her doubts and immerse herself in 
everything Tranquillum House has to offer? Or should she run while she still can? It's not long before every guest at Tranquillum House is asking exactly the same questions. Um, I have to say, that is a, a strange synopsis. Because... I, from you know, from reading the book, I don't think Francis was the pivotal character. So, like, I think there's she's the, the book starts off kind of with her, maybe, maybe a bit more focus on her, but that's not when I say it starts off, like not chapters and chapters, just like you know, a few pages, and you, you then, I think Carmela, there's a character called Carmela, who seems more of the voice, but then it kind of just jumps between everyone, so I don't, you know what I mean, I think this gives it the impression that it comes from a one-person focus, but it really doesn't, uh, and as I said, look, it's jumping between these nine different characters and then the actual employees of Tranquillum House. And I, I, I think one of the problems with that is I don't really think everyone gets fleshed out that well. Now, all the people get a backstory, but it's just some seem a bit more fleshed out than others. And a, a lot of the voices don't really seem that unique. I mean, to be honest, I have to admit, um, I, 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 I didn't really believe a lot that was happening. You know, um, I think when you look at it, like, it says everyone has gone to this thing, you know, it, it's this, they they, it, they mention that the reviews are up and down for Tranquillum House, and everyone's read them, but then everyone seems to be like, oh, oh, we don't know why, you know what I mean, we, we didn't realise that this was here, or this was here, and it's like no one has read anything about it. That's the that's how it all comes across at the very beginning, and it's a bit like, wait, what? Like, you know, what I mean, you might have the odd person, or if there's a couple, one person in that couple might not have read the stuff because you know the other person did the bookings kind of thing, or they were just like, yeah, you know what, whatever you want, we'll do that kind. But for everyone to come across like they didn't pay attention to what was on offer just seemed really weird, and a lot of the voices did seem the same, with just the whole viewpoints on everything, you know, it just all seemed very similar, and the ones that were different, they, they didn't really seem a reason to be different, it was just different 
to um uh, i feel it seemed to give a just a, a pivot point for the story like did sometimes it really didn't seem a reason for it and i yeah that was my you know it was so i could i just couldn't really gel with the book like at the beginning it seemed interesting but then i just i just couldn't take with it yeah it, it was just like it was just it became very testing i'll, I'll put it like that um you know as i said look like the, the character's motivations didn't they just weren't enticing they weren't of interest everyone seemed very one like everyone just seemed one-dimensional and then there's a lot of stuff that happens and you're just like i don't buy that i i really don't i really do not buy any of this yeah and and there's other things that happen and you're just like but why would they come to that conclusion you know it it was just like there's a situation with drugs and out of the blue someone makes this um makes this claim and it's a bit like wait where would they get that from you know and it's just like look just because you've given this character a medical background doesn't mean they would know everything especially from what they are like if you you said they were something else you could be like okay that makes more of a sense but just because what they are you're like look, that doesn't make them the expert on every single thing medical and that's what it seemed to try to do and so i was just a bit scratching my head like no this just doesn't i'm not and then how i think the things that tranquillum kind of come to a conclusion you're just like wait what really wait really no no i'm not i'm not buying i'm not buying it that it's not just it's not a logical kind of conclusion and then you think when that situation ends that's when the book should have ended but then there was still i think like two and a half three hours left and i was just like oh god why can't it end now i'm i'm just bored i'm tired of this but it's just like you know i don't like not finishing a book so you know uh this one i just figured you know i'm gonna persevere i'm gonna stick with it but yeah it just and everything and everything was just a bit too clean at the end a bit too clean cut like and these people did this and these people did this and these people and even the supposed not so happy endings weren't really not so happy endings so it was yeah it it was a book that was far too long 
that seem to have far too many characters to, to what could naturally be fit within the story are just handled by the author because like yet yeah, no just no one felt real and and that's the main problem no one felt real so I, I you just like it's hard to gel with something in that situation and I did I thought like I did, I did Big Little Lies and one of um, Moriarty's other books and I, I enjoyed that and like you know going from that to this it just seems like it's from a different author but I suppose um, I guess someone if you enjoy it, it kind of seems like um some of Jojo Mills' stuff, Jo Moyes' stuff even, Jojo Moyes, um, uh, Cecile I am, uh, probably Marianne Keys. If you're a fan of a lot of their stuff, like, this could well be, um, your cup of tea. Um, if you're not, then, um, it might not be, um, yeah, as I said, look, it's nothing like Big Little Lies, so I wouldn't think if you're a fan of that, you're a fan of this, but, uh, yeah, I guess read the description if you're a fan, if you think it sounds interesting, yeah, then jump on it, man, but otherwise, yeah, maybe check out one of her other books, but this was, um, be, um, sorry, Nine Perfect Strangers from Leanne Moriarty, read by Caroline Lee. Okay, people, we got to that point, we're near the end of another episode, so we're gonna hit you with a little entertainment news, and then we're done, alright? So, every year, they, um, you know, amass the viewing numbers for DVD, DVR, VOD, and OTT platforms. Um, the winner this year was NFL Football, of course. Um, then you had Live PD, Live PD, which you, like, basically it's a modern day version of that show Cops. That was pretty big back in the day. Um, and that runs on the A and E network. Then you had This Is Us, The Voice, Jersey Shore and Grey's Anatomy. Surprisingly, The Walking Dead, which was killing it last year, has really dropped off. Which is kind of interesting because I believe viewing numbers of this season were down a lot from the previous season. And they may have dropped the season before as well. But, you know, they have renewed the show for another few seasons. So, I don't know. Who knows what's happening with that one. But, yeah. Um, that's the uh, 2018 viewing figures. Um, and then big news that a lot of people will be extremely happy about. Netflix have revealed that season three 
of Stranger Things will be dropping on Independence Day in America. That's July the 4th. Um, yeah, I believe I'm right. If I'm wrong, forget I said that. But uh, yeah, so that's a big one. Um, they've also got the episode names for the series. So that will be Susie, Do You Copy? The Mole Rats, The Case of the Missing Lifeguard, The Sauna Test, The Source, The Birthday, The Bite, and The Battle of Star Court. So, um, yeah, Stranger Things Season 3, something to look forward to this year. Though I still need to watch Season 2, and um, so I'll do that soon and throw the review up. But that is us for another week. This has been Echoes from the Void, Episode 31. Boom. We're done. But, yeah, Happy New Year to... Um, Everyone from myself, um, gotta say big up to all my Louisiana fam, you know who you are, the courts, and everyone else who listens, much appreciated, um, and uh, look, remember to share with your friends, um, or share with anyone, spread the word. You know, we got, we're going to have big things coming this year. We're going to be making changes. And um, we hope you're going to be around for the ride. All right. So enjoy your day and make those plans for the year. And I'll see you next week. Peace. <laughs>